and welcome to Combat Thoughts. I'm Robbie. I'm Lee. And I'm Alex. We're going to take a deeper look at culture and philosophy behind martial arts. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Combat Thoughts. This week we're joined by Melissa Mullins. Melissa is an up-and-coming professional MMA fighter who recently made her pro debut. We talk about her origins into MMA, how she recovered from a horrific knee injury, and her experience competing in the IMAFs in 2019. We also talk a lot about MMA in general and women's MMA on the whole. Uh, In the same vein as the last episode, this is just me, Lee, on my own on this one, so I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Combat Thoughts. Different setup this week as it is just me, the other guys have left me to be too busy. So hopefully I can carry it on my own. Thankfully, we've got a great guest, uh, undefeated pro MMA fighter who recently beat the shit out of somebody. If you've not seen the video, you need to go and watch it. Recent purple belt as well, and silver medalist at the Europeans. Melissa, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, did I miss anything there? I, I was trying to get as many superlatives as I could in earlier. No, uh, I'm a silver medalist Europeans, correct. Recently graded purple belt, correct. And beat the shit out of my recent <laughs> opponent for my professional debut, correct. It's cool. I mean, it was a very impressive performance. If anybody listening hasn't seen it, I highly recommend going watching some phenomenal striking. Thank you. So what we tend to do and what we always do with our guests is... And it's a good way to get into it because I think anybody who does martial arts is a little bit crazy. What made you do it? What made you get into martial arts? Like the origin of Melissa and MMA? Um, so I split up from an ex-partner. Um, and my first sort of sport that I was very passionate about was uh, breakdancing, mm-hmm. um, which led from dancing. And in my city, Coventry, breakdancing is a very small scene. Um, And from the split up from my ex-partner, it kind of put me in a a bad situation of being homeless almost. Um, So I lived at my friend's house, who was literally uh, about 200 yards um, up the road from the gym. So every time I would go to my job, I'd walk past the gym to go to work, walk past the gym to go back to her house. Um, and I've always wanted to do martial arts, um, was never sure what martial arts really was until I found it. Um, so I went along and I inquired and then I literally did every single class on the three week trial that I was allowed to do. Um, and absolutely loved it and didn't look back. Cool. So what was, what was the kind of, what tipped you over the edge? Cause I know. I know with the kind of the fear of walking into a new gym is, was it just the kind of right place, right time? Here's the gym. I'm going to have to give it a go. And then you got bitten quite, quite quickly. Um, my partner says I've got an addictive personality. So anything that I tend to get involved in tends to be the thing that I really, really uh, sort of wrap myself around. Um, and on the week trial, um, I, because it, if you go into a gym, typically as either a new person or a female, you're the last person to be picked. Yeah. Um, so my now partner, James, ended up being my partner. Um, and he said that he felt like he was getting punked. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that. Going. 
because I went in there and I wasn't the typical female nor new student that went in with no idea, no clue, uh, yeah. no coordination. It, apparently, I did really, really well. Um, and since day one, I've by all the coaches from the first week trial, I was called like champ, well done. Um, like I, I was powerful and that I think just spurred me to want to get better at the things that they saw I was good at. Yeah, you didn't get kind of isolated from the start. It was kind of you just welcomed in well. Yeah, exactly. To be fair, having trained at Lions, I do know how welcoming they are. They are a real good bunch. It's probably changed a bit since I was there, but there was a, there was a good bunch when I was there. Uh, I would definitely even say even more so now, the community at our gym is ridiculous. Like I've gone straight from the gym and I jumped on here and just the vibe tonight was, in like, I'm, I'm in such a positive mood from the class. It was good. So then a natural then kind of, you said something about breakdancing and then you look at kind of some of the jiu-jitsu world in the US and a lot like Richie Martinez, ex-breakdancer, there's, there's a control of your body you have when you break dance. And like, there's a control, like being able to get into some of those positions, hold your body weight. How, how easy did you find the transfer? Did, was, was it comparable when you first started and was it able to kind of bridge the gap? Um, I'd say like the comparisons you're making, like George St. Pierre, who does gymnastics. Um, I know a guy called uh, Kiddo who does jujitsu. They're all very good both things that they do um and I, I i agree i think they're very trans like what's it called when you're able to transition into the next thing transferable um, skills yes exactly i see these skills right there <laughs> um, so more so wrestling so when andre comes in andre winner i found his class probably the most easiest just because of his like very um strict and same basic skills that he would make you do through the class um I was always the one that was able to do the jump dive forward rolls handstand backwards roll handstand um I rolled with Dan Hardy the other day and obviously he's like off this planet and I was just on my head upside down in this position and <laughs> holding on to this uh wizard for my dear life on my head um so yeah definitely just I suppose this thing is it because like it's not unusual to be on your head. Like no, if, no, if, no. if I'm on the, my head, the level of fear and anxiety I get that my neck's going to snap is big. But like <laughs> it's not weird for you, right? You're kind of used to it. You've got the neck strength as well. Yes. You're kind of you're weird. You're used to being in weird and wonderful positions. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I I love like my head being almost my my tripod, my third base. So like if you get yep. bumped from mount, more normally people use their two hands. I use my two hands and my head. Um, a very James thing. Like James says, headbutt the floor all the time. Yeah, I remember him doing some weird and wonderful neck exercises when I used to train with him. I just, I'm the type of person where I'm thinking, that just looks painful. Get me to the pub. I don't need that. <laughs> so, was jujitsu the easiest one you found first? Or because now, like looking at your striking at your recent fight, it, it was brilliant. Like the setup to that right hand was sick. And like, was striking natural or because everybody tends to think dancing and jiu-jitsu? Um, I, I think I look like the most mechanical block. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of look like a, a bodybuilder, I guess you could call it, trying to do striking or a guy that's on steroids when I first yeah. did 
Um, and even worse, when I came back from my knee injury, I just looked like I was like, yeah, oh, <laughs> like no mechanism, just literally penguin kicking, closed hip, no pivot, just arm. Um, it, so I wouldn't say it was actually my my my, my easy my favorite, but it was my easiest. Mm-hmm. But grappling and wrestling were my favorite and my easiest, but in no gi. So I know, I know you've just mentioned the knee there and I, I do want to get onto it because I, I know James mentioned it and we've done a few podcasts about injuries. I, I'd love to get into what happened with the knee and like the recovery and stuff. If you could share some on that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, so it happened in 2016, mm-hmm. literally two to three months after I started just training in general. Um, it was a complete... Uh, tear of both my MCL and ACL ligaments. Um, it was through, I think it was gi. I think I was doing gi. Um, and it, it's just beginners being beginners uh, and kind of you thinking you know something and the stubbornness of thinking you know it, but then continuing not being aware of your body. And I think you don't know how to correct those mistakes until they happen to you. Even if you don't get injured, you like might get a knee tweak or a uh, you might get ankle locked and be, you might be so stubborn that you just hold on to it or you might get arm barred and you think, that oh, doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt, oh, it hurts, but then <laughs> you stay on it. Just those stupid things you don't know until you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I went to the hospital straight away. Um, they, the, the actual hospital kept me um, in a brace uh, and that was the recovery for eight weeks. Um, and then I went back to the doctors or hospital, should I say, uh, in the fracture clinic. And I said, it just doesn't feel right. It gives way. Um, they sent me to a MRI um, and the MRI actually came back as nothing. Um, and they made me wait for another eight weeks or so. Um, and then I was given an operation date. Um, and basically they didn't know what was wrong with my knee until they went in money and they said it was a complete mess in there. Um, so I ended up having a hamstring graft out of my left leg, which went into my right leg. Um, and then I was bed bound for a week and then I was straight based, straight braced for another eight weeks, braced with a slight curve for six weeks and then given full motion for another four weeks in the brace um, and then crutches and then yeah physiotherapy basically after that point so um, that's, you did some real damage in there if they're taking your hamstring from the other leg as well yeah um but i would always suggest by the way if you're ever injured don't go to nhs physio go to a private physio um my private physio poor definitely helped me uh just in just in here like if someone tells you you can't do it especially a professional you're going to listen to them, but having someone who has a little bit more confidence and not have to follow a strict guideline or book yep. um, definitely helped. And my recovery was a lot quicker than it should have been. And I was back in my first gi class, which was area, um, a seminar within eight months of injury. I think yeah, there's a good thing around the kind of private physio and things like that. What, letting them know you're an athlete, letting them know the things you want to do. I think if you go to an NHS doctor and say, my knee's bad, their, their, their job is to get you back up and walking, not get you back doing jujitsu. Yeah, 
and you're definitely right because they're out there the the initial question or the sort of go-to questions was how does it affect you what does it actually stop you from doing um and at the time I was a sports coach uh, a senior sports coach and obviously an athlete as an amateur um but I kind of like brag it and lie and if you don't do that they set you back and they already set me back a, a really long time so to get what I needed you had to lie and be exaggerate of yeah. what was actually wrong with you or what it affected as I say isn't it it's kind of the the NHS is good for the kind of what the health when you need it and the stuff like that but to get you back fighting you you, you do need some specialist treatment I, I suppose how, how did rehab look? It's a long time where you was in a breaks. Was you still able to train? Did you kind of focus on strength and conditioning? What um, what was your kind of life at the time? Was it because for me, I'd just get fat and eat biscuits. Um, so because I said to, I mentioned that I was only three months into training. Um, I guess although I was there most nights, it wasn't my life. It wasn't my pathway at the time. Uh, so it happened quite early from you starting training. Ah, okay. Yeah, literally three months into it. Um, so as much as I liked it, I still had a full-time job in what I was doing when I got into uh, martial arts. Um, I still had a focus on becoming a gym. Sorry. Come here. I still had a very big focus on um, becoming a gymnastics coach. Mm-hmm. Um so as much as I loved it, I never thought I was going to be a professional athlete at that time. Yeah. But I was still always in the gym environment when I could be uh, still enjoying the team and the the, the, the vibe at the gym. Um, physio didn't really happen until I was out of my knee brace. Um, yeah. Like being able to have either full hinge um, movement uh, to be in out of it completely. Did, did not any part of you think fuck this I'm done I'm, I'm not going to that sweaty gym anymore and getting mangled up with my knees um not really like as I've been told I've got an addictive personality so yeah as soon as I could go back I did go back um uh, you might see in some of my Instagram posts like really far down um I'm in in my knee brace when it is on full hinge being able to move doing some round and pound to a bag or doing some handstands in the cage uh, when we had a cage. Um, so I was always still active, but I wasn't able to do what I do now or mm-hmm. when I was able to do more, I wasn't able to do that until I was got to that point. Cool. So then, so that was three months in, a few months of recovery. What what happened there what was the kind of timeline of Melissa then, was it? First amateur fight, what, 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 how did it kind of progress? Um, so, uh, when did I have my first amateur fight? My first, I can tell you the date of my first amateur fight in the show, but not the date, sorry, the, 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 the person and the show, but I can't remember the actual first date. Um, I think I fought in 2018 on uh, Fight UK, which is Jimmy Warhead's show mm-hmm. with, I can't remember who ran it with him. Um, and I fought a lady called Pat Payers. And in all honesty, the road to recovery never really had any drawbacks. I never stepped back into injury. There was always tweaks and feelings, but as soon as I could train, as I said, I did, and I did as much as I could. I just looked like a robot. Yep. <laughs> um, and when I was given my first fight, there was no 
worries or thoughts that I weren't going to be able to compete. It mm. was just full steam ahead, train what I can, where I can, and be careful. So I think I had a year, a year between recovery of injury and first amateur fight. So that's a good timeline because you're still in like skills development stage. You're kind of getting fit, getting ready for a fight. It's not like you just rushed in straight away. Yeah. Um, oh, I had interclubs as well before that. See, I really rate interclubs. So I, I came from a background of Muay Thai. So when I was competing, I do interclub most weekends. And I really rated it just for having a little bit of nerves, having a little bit of fear in your belly and just being a bit comfortable getting in a ring with somebody. Do you, I, I think they, they really work. I think they're good. Do you agree, disagree? Well, I fully agree. Um, I had three of them before I was allowed to make my amateur debut. Um, we are going to the one in Manchester on the 1st of August with some of our team, um, especially ones that haven't competed or some of the ones that have competed but not so much. And at the moment, there's a big kerfuffle of how serious to take it. And they're not understanding that it is just a competition that has no outcome. And if you come out away with it, with a positive or negative experience, you're still going to learn. Um, there's still going to be footage for you to reflect on and improve at the gym when you come back home and train. And if you do shit, you could use that as motive to get better for the next one. And if you do well, you could use that as motive to work towards your first amateur fight. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to always cop for the monsters who'd turn up and had told all their friends that it was a real fight. So they came in and was like treating it like a real fight and kind of really trying to knock you out early. And everybody was kind of like, it's, come on, it's just three rounds moving around. Like, stop being a dick. Yeah. But it's good for the nerves because if somebody is really trying to hurt you, you kind of you need to be in that position and know what it feels like. So yeah, it's a good barometer as well for amateur fighters and young fighters to know if they want to do it. Exactly. And you'll probably meet some people that you're going to meet on the amateur scene as well, which is a good thing. Like, That's another point, actually, about female MMA in the UK. It's, it's a small circle, isn't it? Everybody seems to know everybody and everybody seems to have crossed paths. Literally, I think I know every UK female or I've trained with every UK female at the moment uh, in some way or form. Um, so, yeah, UK, UK female MMA is very small. And it's hard because at the moment there seems to be so much like tension and beef. Um, I never use the word beef, but what it feels like at the moment. And it doesn't need to be there. Like you fight, it's amateur, you fight, you fight. If you don't fight, you don't fight. Um, it's where when you go pro is when you need to be like, okay, now we take it a bit more serious. Um, but. There's something about the amateurs, isn't it? And I, I boxing has this done really well. And I think MMA is a bit immature in regards to in relation to boxing. Is your amateur fights should just be getting in there. It's it's an experience. Your record isn't too important. It's getting in there. Pros when you should worry about your record. Yeah. But I think getting as much experience as you can. Have you found any issues or like have you found it difficult getting matched, especially now the shift to pro? Um. So yes and no. Being matched in my first amateur fight, I found it really, really hard. Um, I think it was more to do with my weight than anything, like fighting at 61. Um, we actually had to have a catch weight at 63. Um, then 
a lot of Hima UK uh, 57 kilo fighters. Yep. Or was at the time. Um, before lockdown, I found it hard to get matched up. Um, and then I was meant to fight Charlotte Cooper. But then <laughs> coronavirus happened. Uh, and we got matched up a second time, but then that that show got stopped anyway. But I pulled myself out of it prior because my dad died, um, and my my headspace wasn't in the right space. But yeah, even though the show got cancelled anyway, um, and then I took the Zoom to go pro. Um, it was hard to be matched pro. Um, it took a while, and it took a load of names for me to say I would be happy to fight this person, this person, this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we fought Josie, um, and it was the promoter Dan Cassell who actually contacted her uh, dude because they're good friends, and that's how we got matched with Josie. Um, but I've been told now that it might be very hard to match me just because of my record. Like none of my wins are via decision; they're all literally TKO or KO. Yeah most of them be in first round um so we'll see it's kind of hard when you're ending people but you've got one profile to kind of somebody with 10 fights is going i, I don't really want that smoke and mm-hmm. i imagine it's going to be uh it's a good good position to be in though because you've got a good highlight reel going at the minute yeah uh hopefully like i think i i said it before i don't want to be the person to have to approach anyone i want to make the right noise in the right sort of situation that people say oh actually melissa mullins let's get her on our show um or the challenge of let's fight melissa mullins and maybe i can i, I feel like i'm the one that can beat her yeah um, i would love that but at the moment i just don't know if it's gonna happen and as thick as that sounds I'm not the only one that's thinking that, you know, I'm getting told that by my coaches and other promoters and buyers. So. And from my perspective, just absorbing the MMA world and being around it, your name comes up a lot and there, there is a lot of hype behind your name and there's a lot of people excited about your progression. So I don't think there's a lot of people who are wrong. I think, I think you're doing something right. Yeah. I, I feel like in a sense, I've also been sort of shadow banned. This is going to take again. Egocentric, but like IMAF, I was in the IMAF and I was the only female to finish all of my fights via TKO or KO. And not once have I been highlighted or shown on any IMAF platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, like so many IMAF athletes have been like shone on with their little IMAF light and media platforms for making their professional debut. And there was nothing given to me in that sense. And as, as small as it is, it, it, it helps, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Because you've got their reach then and they're kind of following and they get to see from there. And they, they should be pleased with a product of their tournament kind of going on to big things. Exactly. And I would recommend IMAF to anyone. It is such a a, a really dope experience. Like, of all my things I've ever done, I've enjoyed that ridiculously. Like, it was fun. It was enjoyable. It ran well. It gave you experience, um, accreditation. Like you don't ever, you always see um, 
debutants of the UFC. Uh, this this girl was on the IMAF. Uh, so you've got Bianca who went on to Brave. You've got uh, Liam McCourt who's on Bellator. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there's a blonde one. I've forgotten her name, but she's just debuted. Manon, I think her name is. She's French. Uh, she's had, just had a second fight on the UFC. She was a medalist um, on the IMAF. So, oh, Dan, Danny Nelson, Newland. He's yep. on Bellator. IMAF again. For people who don't know, and like who are thinking, what the hell's IMAF? I know it was in Italy the year you did it, wasn't it? Yeah, 2019. So, what kind of the structure? I know is it three days? Mm, it's over a week. So, um, depending on how many people are in your category, so you pre sign up to it, um, and there's up to 16 people, I think, per category, per gender. So, 57. Not yeah, fifty-seven kilos. You have your females, juniors, and then men, and mm-hmm. then sixty-one kilos, females, juniors, and men, depending on if it's a junior tournament. Um, and you are obviously if you're full category, you'll fight full five days. Um, if you're half, then your bracket is obviously spread out through the week. Um, with the finals all on one day in one cage. Uh, you're not. You're, you're not known your opponent until the day before your fight or the evening of your fight. No, the evening before your fight. Um, and it's very random. You, it's not picked, it's generated. Um, so you don't know who you're going to fight. And half the time you can't even find their records. Yeah. If they're Russian. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, the IMF is a tournament-based uh, championships. Championship, sorry. Um, that travels country to country um, and you fight international opponents of variant levels uh, over a week period of time. Um, three three-minute rounds with one-minute break in between, knockout-style tournament, um, and you fight for bronze, silver, or gold. So how many how many fights did it take you to get to the final? It took me three fights, and then my fourth fight was my final, which I lost on a split decision. Yeah, so I remember seeing that on Instagram at the time and it, it looked like a bit of a robbery. Yes and no. Um, Jasmine definitely did really, really well. Um, I guess on a split decision, you can call it either way. She, she either has way, one of my yeah. favourite fights to fight. I would definitely say my world championship fight where I went for the second time, which was in Bahrain uh, against Paula... Pavla, whatever her name is, I lost on split decision again, and I broke my hand in that fight. And I would, I was so angry, like I don't know if the replay would ever be seen, but I was screaming in the cage, and it was bad sportsmanship. But I generally felt like I was robbed from that fight. And mm-hmm. although I couldn't have carried on to the second round, the second section because yeah. of my hand, um, I, I've now got a loss on my record because of that that situation. Yeah, it might um, have been that one of those. I remember there was, I remember seeing it on your Instagram at the time. I think I remember seeing it and it, it looks because you put the video up. I remember having a watch of it and being like, oh, that does look close. I think you might be on about the Pablo one. But yeah, she's a girl that we've put forward to hopefully be matched for my second fight as a rematch. Oh, cool. How do, so I want to come back to kind of next steps and next fights. But before we move on, how did you find the pace of the 
the competition kind of fighting every couple of days was it do you enjoy that did you kind of have enough time to rest recuperate and then get back in um I actually found it a lot easier than I thought I would um so I thought I'm at 65.24 so you've you've got to be doing that kind of at close enough to the weight you walk around at right yes because it's daily weigh-in so you weigh in on the morning of every single fight that you have Mm -hmm. um so my food was quite very like regimented and very specific um I never ate any of the city's food because you don't know what's in it I took packet rice uh protein bars (laughs) stuff like this um a lot of females and males actually cut weight um they're not meant to but they do uh and I don't know if that's a disclosed thing but might as well be truthful um it's obviously I guess their individual opinions to do that but it it does affect performance um three times in a week is going to be really tough that did it as well like I won't mention any names but some of them performed some of them didn't um but you you can have all the excuses in the world but why have that as an excuse when you can eliminate it yeah um but yeah it was just mad to watch some people cut weight and some people struggle like people were crying uh people were waking up two three kilos back off weight to then have to cut that again And it is just mad, but obviously I didn't have to cut weight, which was I, I was very, very, very thankful for because I mean naturally, especially without a, a, any kind of diet regimen, yeah, I was like seventy four, and I fight at sixty one, so to maintain sixty five for me, I thought it was going to be a challenge, but it wasn't. You sat uh, there with your packet rice and your protein bars, going fuck cutting weight. Literally, we have to, it's like a Mexican wave of like you sit on a chair, move to the next chair, sit on the chair, move to the next chair, medicals weigh in. And as soon as you weighed in, I was like, eat my banana, eat my <laughs> bar. Uh, that would be my snack before the fight. And then I'd have rice. And I think I'd fish most of the time or chicken with a bit of watermelon after my fight. Um, I suppose, yeah, crap. You win, knock somebody out, TKO them. You can't go and enjoy biscuits and pizzas and things like that. Straight back to it. Yeah. You don't really enjoy food, like, after weight cuts either. Like, obviously, starting to 65, my belly still got that typical shrinkage. Mm-hmm. As soon as you eat something, it's not enjoyable because your body's just full straight away. Um, yeah. It's like, you should have seen my food that I bought after this fight. And, now I'm trying to give it away. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You you have this like idea in your head that you're going to eat all this chocolate and all this stuff, and you just your body gets to the point where it goes, no, not anymore. <laughs> I'm, I've not had that problem for a while. I'll be honest. Honestly, I've still got it, and it's disgusting. And at the moment, I feel angry at myself because I'm like, let's home this. So we're going to eat house today. I make my porridge, and then I look up in the cupboard and there's croissants with chocolate in, and I have five chocolate croissants for myself. <laughs> And I'm like, maybe I won't have any lunch. Get to lunch and I have pizza. I mean, that's my life, so I wouldn't be too worried. I suppose that that is a good time then to move on then to after the fight, your chocolate croissants, your pizza. How, how long are you going to give yourself on the downturn before we start looking to kind of something new next fight? Um, so I'm waiting for the opponent, an opponent to be confirmed if, if I get one for the 2nd of October. Okay. Um, which is 26 days before I get married, um, which is going to be fun. I, I, I said 
prior to this fight that I'm not going to take another fight. But I really want another fight. Um, so anyone that wants to fight me, let's go. Uh, how weeks? But that don't give her a black eye for a wedding because that's not going to look good. I'll take the black eye. So. <laughs> I don't want to be hobbling down in my lovely wedding dress. Like <laughs> my uh, live musician <laughs> looking like a sausage. I don't want. <laughs> um, no. So, yeah, I want to fight on October 16th, October 2nd on Golden Ticket. I, I really, really do. Um, I'm willing to fight if I have to. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I saying about so I was meant to be healthy uh, from Monday because I only need to be eight weeks out to make my weight from 73 yeah um, I don't know my weight at the moment so I wouldn't ask it's not worth it <laughs> honestly I know the day after the weigh-ins was 68 with clothes and shoes on and that wasn't any food, so I can't even imagine what it is right now. But I'm definitely not feeling great. Um, you've got to live good sometimes, though. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to eat the crap while you can. Um, so, yeah, October 2nd is what we're aiming for. Um, I'm promising myself, like, get back on that mindset and discipline of diet. Um, and not a restrictive diet, but a more controlled diet from Monday because I'm going to Brighton to go to the arcades with my uh, best friend on Saturday evening um, and obviously we're going to have some nice food then yeah. I don't drink so I'm alright with alcohol I'm not an alcoholic of any kind after a fight um, so yeah hopefully from Monday that gives me 12 weeks to sort of get back on schedule sort my life out with food um, and hopefully prepare for the 2nd of October. And I mean, even if I don't get a fight, it puts me in good stead to look great in my wedding dress on my wedding day. I see. Yeah, you're going to be in shape for the wedding. <laughs> Show off my muscles. <laughs> so is Golden Ticket the promotion you fought on last time? Yes. So it looked like a really good show. I, I'm in London, so I couldn't get down, but it looked like a good show. The setup looked good. It looked like in a big warehouse. I, yeah, it was in, it's called Steel Mill, so I think it's like a, a, a club or a bar normally. Um, but yeah, it actually looked the best it's ever looked, considering the restrictions that they had to put in place regarding seating and stuff mm. in order for it to all go ahead. Um, they had a bit of a struggle with the queue, because obviously they had to let the right amount of people in, and I think the show, uh, I think I heard one of the promoters saying that someone copied the tickets or printing tickets. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, so the queue. Some people waiting like four hours to get on the to get in from the evening show. Oh shit! Um, and it wasn't their fault at all. It was just crowd control of the people. They were just rioting and being dickheads in the show, uh, in the in the crowd. Yeah. And making everyone's life a misery, and it was hard work. So obviously, if they have to follow the COVID rules, they can't just say, "All right, just fuck off, come in." Yeah. It is yeah. tough because you've got. You've got to be kind of make sure it's safe and good setup at the best of times, but with COVID restrictions as well, it's it's, it's no mean feat setting up an MMA show at the minute. Yeah, exactly. And they, they honestly, they smashed it. Even with the weigh-in days, the, the weigh-in day, it was just flawless. And that, that, I literally, from the perspective of an outsider, the only thing was the cue from the outside. Yeah, but then like for you guys as athletes who are competing you don't want to be stressed about anything. So props to the show to make your lives easy because you just want to turn up and fight. You don't want to have any stress from them. Yeah, exactly. And and that was it. It wasn't stressful at all. 
like the facility was great the warm-up was great the runners and all the information that they gave you was spot on um i suppose then, did it feel different fighting pro did a bit more nerves or kind of not not that different you're just punching somebody else in the face um i had a wobble uh before the i literally walked out and i don't know if it was because of nerves but i when i get angry i cry mm-hmm. so my opponent's coach came down and i'm a very friendly person so i waved to him from my changing room because they were walking out first and then the promoter came in and said melissa you gotta wear our gloves which are the green hill gloves mm-hmm. and i really prior agreed that i was going to wear my own gloves and i said well like what does she want to do she said, he's, he's like you're gonna wear our gloves and i was like oh no i'm not but like these are my gloves these are the ones i'm wearing uh she either's gonna let me wear these or we don't fight um and in my head i obviously could have thought a bit more logically but when i get angry i cry so i had like tears in my eyes and this is not what i want before i go out and fucking try and hurt someone but i want to be the best mindset i could um and then jimmy who was in my corner uh calmed me down and he just simply said does she have her own gloves? Can she not just wear those? I went to her. Yeah, she's going to wear her own gloves. And I'm thinking, why the fuck didn't she just come downstairs and say, you've got your own gloves. Can I wear my own gloves? Like, for me, that would have been a simpler and more logical situation. Why cause more drama than needed? So now I'm thinking, I'm going to fucking hurt you. Like, <laughs> I was so pissed off. It gave uh, you one of two ways, though, Kai, because that could have wobbled you to the point where it messed up preparation for walking out. Or it can go the other way where it really tips you to the side of I'm going to be the shit out of you. Well, it was actually my walkout song that got me vibing. I had um, Top Loaders dancing in the moonlight. What a tune. What an absolute tune. It was a vibe. And as soon as it came on, I was like bobbing my head. <laughs> and normally I have Outcast Kaya. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't vibing off that one. At the, I tried to pick my walkout song and I was thinking Busted 3000. Also a banger. <laughs> um, so yeah, ended up with Top Loader, which has been one of James's prior workout songs, and I just vibed off it. I got in the, in the cage, and I from the point of the song coming on to them announcing my name and circling the cage, complete vibe and the best I'd ever felt going into the cage. Um, I had a weird stomach feeling here, but I think it was because I ate so many cocoa pops prior to my fight, and it was such a good reload of fuel and food I think I was just enjoying too much food and yeah. I didn't need to attack on it but it's still a learning experience of how to understand what works for my body mm-hmm. um, I think because we're, we're all kind of there's the best kind of structure and you can listen to all the theory but we're all a bit different anyway so what works for one person doesn't exactly work for somebody else you, you do have to just trial and error it sometimes yeah exactly so we've had some uh weird ones like James made this concoction of this drink once and it gave him burps, but it gave me this weird gurgling feeling down here. And I was like, I'm never having that again. <laughs> Stay away from that. Yeah. Uh, we, spoke, one- we spoke to a few fighters doing interviews like this and some of the stories people have said, especially from back in the day, so like kind of 10 years ago of cutting weight, there, there's some absolute horror stories that have happened. So having too many Coca Pops isn't the worst story we've heard. Uh, it's probably the most enjoyable weight to That's, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, well, we've mentioned James a couple of times, and this is all about you and nothing to do with James. He's had his, he's had his moment on the podcast. Yeah. But I do need to ask, how how did you find fighting on the same card as each other? Um, 
For me, I had no problem. Um, I, I honestly, I don't know how his mindset was. Um, I, I did feel a little bit bad because obviously I know how he gets. He gets in completely focused. Like there's nothing stopping him. As soon as he's turned on, he's ready. Um, and he's in the zone to that very point of touching hands. If he touches hands, um, or just breaks someone leg. Uh, <laughs> but no it was all right I, I i guess actually it did affect me in a sense because he's my main pad man like mm-hmm. he's my head coach and up until my warm-up he said he wasn't going to pad us and i was like james can you pad me but then i forgot that he wasn't going to do that but then he still chose to pad me um obviously that took nothing away from his performance because he did really really well um but yeah, honestly, I don't think it, it affected him or me in any way. Um, I just would rather have a little bit more focus on me prior to my actual uh, cage step, stepping into the cage. Yeah. But no, it was fine. It was, it was yeah, well, um, I mean, by judging by both of your performances, it, it was a it was a good result anyway. Yeah. Um, I'd probably say, if anything, the weight cut together is the hardest. Like. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, it, it was because obviously you've got was the big, wedding nearly off at any point. Not this time. <laughs> not this time. Prior some some of the weight cuts where I've just had to go like solo for it, definitely. Like I'm a I'm a pun, I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm female times a hundred punty females in prior situations to weight cuts. Um so yeah. except yeah. I'm yeah, uh, fair play to him. I don't envy that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this one was, it, I think it was hard because he made weight before me, which was not for any planned situation. It's just he wake up early, he made weight. Um, I watched him make weight, then I had to make my weight. And I think just the mindset, I, like, I'm trying to get into my focus, but he's already in his focus, but he's also got a low energy, low vibes and there's yeah. nothing for me to pull off so it's kind of it was kind of like a solo sort of situation he made wait for him and i may wait for me um that's it isn't it because t- generally you have somebody with you when you're cutting weight and they're they're there to help you but they're also a bit of a they're they're in good health they're not cutting weight so they're yeah. kind of they're giving you a bit of energy to feed off to help out if you both drained i'm surprised you didn't end up scrapping in the hotel room to, with each other about this time we are honestly wait, making weight this time was so easy like he james james oh he's got his headphones on um <laughs> i feel like um in the interviews where rose namayunas calls pat barry into the back i feel like there's there's a that moment that's just happened i'll try and get him but you give me one second please yeah. <laughs> I will take it wrong. <laughs> we'll bring James. We've got a cameo of James here. Can you tell him how easy your yeah. wake up was? Like what you woke up on? Oh my, I'd have to get the phone to do it. Yeah. Right, you get your phone and then I'll tell him mine. So <laughs> my wake cut was the easiest one I've had. Normally I cut two kilos morning of the fight of the weigh-ins. Yeah. And I literally woke up with point six originally to cut. No. Point yeah, point six originally to cut. But by the time it was actually time for me to wait, wait, I'd already lost point two. 
So I only had to cut 0.4 to make weight. And for me, which is normally four to six 15-minute saunas, took one 20-minute bath and not even a wrap. Oh, wow. And then I continued to lose weight after that bath as well. And I stepped on the scale at 61 kilos. So I was underweight and under champ weight, which was for me amazing. And then for James, normally, how much were you cut normally morning off? Uh, right about process Thursday to morning, about six kilos. Yeah, but morning off, how much you normally cut for I mean, So yeah, normally he's got three to four kilos, say night of, morning or of. But this yeah. time he woke up on what? So he fights at 77 at this fight. Yeah. So 82 kilos on the Thursday. Can you hear him? Yeah? So he was 80 kilos on the Thursday, was that right? 82 on the Thursday morning. And then by the end of Thursday night, bearing in mind we did nothing, I was 79.6. So I dropped 2.4 kilo just fucking. So you're not getting skinny quick then. Yeah. And then I woke up 79.1. So I dropped half kilo overnight. Um, and I was left with what, 2.7 kilo to sweat out. And it literally took one 20 minute bath, one 40 minute wrap. And then I was, I was on weight. Oh, so you guys weren't, you weren't like at death's door and ready to pass out. No. <laughs> I suppose then for Melissa, would. Is 61 where you'd want to stay at? Would you are you capable of going lower or would you want to? Um, so I was looking at the fight dietitian's sort of weight cut chart. Like he's the guy that James likes to look a lot at at the moment. Mm-hmm. And aggressive weight loss, he says that ultimately at eight weeks out, I should be starting at 68. Now, I think that is achievable, but the problem is when I eat, I've got no control. Um, and I, I generally like to eat. I'm not one of those people that will go to a place and have salad. Like James, I have a Indian platter with all the bits and bobs and I'll literally eat as equal to him. And yeah. if we go I to KFC, I'm into that. I'm very, very much on board with that. Um, but yeah, like I always have to have what he's having. And if we buy food and he wants some of it, I'm like, no, that's mine. Yeah. <laughs> But then if he buys food, his is also mine. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to be. That's a very good position to be in, but not not the best for getting below 61. No, exactly. Um, so I have questioned it a few times. I, I would like to. Like, 57 is the sort of category for females. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know how I would perform there um, because I do, in the latter stages of a weight cut, like, say, 60 or 63 kilos, I start to feel where my energy is depleted um, and training isn't so good, which is only a week out. But do you want that feeling like that going towards 57? Yeah, and you've seen it a lot now in MMA. You've seen it a lot in the UFC where fighters are actively fighting a weight category above or closer to their natural weight and having really good performances because they're not debilitating their body to get to a weight that they probably shouldn't be at. Exactly. There's a there's a there's a fine balance to find, and I mean, from your fight, it doesn't look like you need to cut weight. I'm not I'm not de- I'm definitely not saying you should. Uh, more of a question: Have you ever thought about it? Uh, I've thought about it, but I generally think I am happy at 61 kilos, especially after the cut I've just had. And and it's not uh, like you look undersized at the weight. It's not like you're a tiny 61 kilo. No. Um, a lot of people actually say I'm quite big for the weight category. Um, like my opponent was quite, I don't want to say chubby because that's not the word I want to explain anybody as, but she wasn't in shape 
compared to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was also shorter than me. Um, I think the only person that's actually been taller than me was Ivana, who I lost to on my second amateur fight. Um, and she's gone to 57 now, but she was a lot of more of a feature frame. Yeah. Um, so I suppose if we're rounding it off then and kind of coming to the end, I suppose the last thing I'd want to get into is what does the next one, two years look like versus the four and five years? What, what's, what's the goal? What's that? What's targets you're kind of looking to achieve? Kind of, are we going to see, I don't know, UFC? Are we going to see Bellator? Is that something we're aiming for? Bellator is a no. I don't want to go on Bellator. Um, and please, if anyone listens to this and gets offended by this, it's not at all what I mean. But I feel like Bellator is like the end road. Like there's no development from Bellator. Mm-hmm. You don't find as being picked from Bellator to go back to the UFC. It's kind of, you've had the UFC, then you go to Bellator. No, I think um, that's a good point. Because if you look at organisations like the PFL at the minute, they're, they're maturing fighters. Whereas... Yeah. I would agree with your point. Bellator does seem a bit more end of line. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's that. That's a lot of a lot of what people say. Um, it's like a payday motion now. Um, so yeah, I like that you've asked two and three years, then five years, because a lot of people say, "Well, five years time, like I don't know what's going to happen in five years time." Like, there's an idea, but at five years time, I'm going to be thirty-five years old. Yeah. Um, I got some weird advice when I first started, like my first job, um, the, the boss I worked with, and I've always stuck to it, and it always seems to work quite well, is your one and two year plan should be quite detailed. Like, it's achievable. It should be goal-driven because it's tangible. Your yeah. five-year kind of medium term should just be an idea that you can work towards because a lot of things are going to happen in the time to get to there. So there's no point planning it because life happens. I guess in that sense, let's just say hypothetically five years' time at a bantamweight fighter, female MMA will be developed. There will be more females in the pro ranks and I'll be fighting internationally on the UFC, let's say, um, towards that top top five ranking, mm-hmm. going for that bantamweight belt. Um, that's five years. Two to three years. So at the moment... Again, I always go by what people say because they're the experienced people. Yep. Female MMA is small. Um, the rankings right now are far and few between. So two to five fights. I hope the UFC are looking at me and I get into the UFC on the lower rankings. Um, I have looked at Invicta. Invicta is a, a definitely a very good feeder pathway and it is an all-female promotion. So, And they have uh, some absolutely awesome cards as well. Exactly. Um, I do think they need to be more open. They need to try and get on more platforms to view their stuff because they do have some beautiful fights. And females that come from that promotion look incredible. Um, So, yeah, there's that. Um, I would like to fight internationally as a professional before I get to the UFC, though, just to see how I fare uh, with international opponents at a pro level. Where, um, where, what country would you like to compete in? Where's like the, because I, I know as a fan, if I was competing, I'd love to compete in Japan just for the kind of oh, really? homage to pride and all of that stuff. That'd be fucking <laughs> awesome. I'd love to have an MMA fight in a ring. That'd be cool. You know what? If I could get anyone to announce me, it would be the original dude from Pride. Yeah. Yeah. They are. They, they, they had some really good intros. The Vandalay Silver one still gives me chills. 
one thing I couldn't do is the dancing though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like the uh, one championship stuff. I, I yeah. I they have a big female presence as well, and they cover a lot of kind of Southeast Asia. And that's one of the best parts of the world, in my eyes, Southeast Asia. There's so many cool countries. I went to the Philippines when I was younger, and honestly, if I could live in a country like that and nothing was holding me back, I would. Um, but, yeah, um, so let's say two years, three years, I've had five fights as a professional um, and say UFC haven't looked at me. Uh, I'm fighting an Invicta. Maybe that stays in my pathway. Uh, live out my career in Invicta. See how I go. Um, Cage Warriors don't have a female uh, out at the moment. There's no females in their, um, what's it called? When you uh, have a roster of. Yes, they don't have a roster of females. Yeah. And I've been told that they need to have four females interested to have a fight before they will consider having me on their show. Um, Hey, you keep ending people like you did last week, and uh, I'm sure they'll they'll there is a prick up. Um, so yeah, let's see, let's see. Um, hopefully, obviously, being on podcast like yourself or video cast, I don't know what really we call this. Uh, more people are seeing me. More people are understand that I'm not a dickhead. Uh, I'm a good personality to have on a show, um, and that for. They will look into my platforms of social media and see that I train hard, I work hard, and that leads them to YouTube and watch my fights. And I create enough noise to be like, oh, I want her. Um, that's, I, I, think, that's the, I think you're in a good position in terms of female MMA because it is maturing, probably not as quick as the MMA world would like, but it is maturing and it is starting to grow. And hopefully you can kind of catch the wave as it starts to grow a bit more in the UK. Yeah, I hope so. And if not, ultimately, I'll be a female from the UK that has sort of helped female MMA. Um, and say, age 35, I've not done too well. I've inspired enough people that's helped the rosters of such cage warriors, Invicta, UFC to build. Because ultimately, that, that having your name as sort of an OG would is still an established sort of ideal and it will help me yeah. in my future and my career and my gym's future. I say and you've, you've surrounded yourself with a lot of the OGs from men's MMA, kind of Andre, Jimmy. They, 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 are, they are some, uh, they are some OGs. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then James is obviously going to be an old man with his deafness and boldness. Well, that's how, when I when I knew him well. He he had a full head of hair, so uh, <laughs> I'm not going to pass further comment on that because he definitely can beat the shit out of me. Uh, don't worry, he takes all of his <laughs> We hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please consider subscribing to the podcast and checking us out on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram under the name Combat Thoughts. We'll see you next time. <laughs>